Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, we're glad that you are doing it with style. Hello, Power Partners. Welcome to our party playground. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're with you every week, live, coming to you from the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel, and my name is Cynthia Bryan. Well, today's show is going to be very exciting because we have a really fantastic guest uh, coming on in segment two who wrote a fascinating book. I was especially intrigued by it called Murder in Matera, Helene Stepinski. And it's a true story of passion, family, and forgiveness in southern Italy. And she goes back to Italy to trace what happened to her great-grandmother and uh, uh, find out if she was indeed a murderer or if she was something else. And so I think you're, it's going to be really fun. And actually, it's a great, great-grandmother. So two greats in front of that. We are going to also talk about how we can live longer and how we live longer is going to be through some information about volunteering. You know that I'm really big on all of that, so it's it's important to volunteer. Uh, but coming up in just a second, we're going to be talking about something that Alan Cohen wrote that really inspired me, and I thought... I really have to bring it to you. So the miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity. Be The Star You Are can be visited at btsya.org. And this is from Warren Buffett. Give your kids enough to do everything, but not so much that they'll do nothing. I thought that was very appropriate quote. I want to use that Often, because especially now that I'm writing this book with so many volunteers and contributors called Be the Star You Are for Millennials. And one of the things that I keep getting is how entitled millennials are. And it's not what I have found them to be at all. So for all those uh, parents out there, let's read it again. Give your kids enough to do everything, but not so much that they'll do nothing. And again, a very, very brave quote by Warren Buffett. 
Well, Alan Cohen ha- is an author and an inspirational lecturer, and he's been on our show several times in the past. And he sends out a monthly newsletter that is always very helpful, just with a story that he has in it. And then it, he talks about whatever retreats or books or whatever he has coming up. And this one really caught my attention, and I thought I would read it for you today. It's called Somewhere or Nowhere. A certain amount of business work is productive and meaningful. A lot just feels like busy work, filling out forms, fixing website issues, jumping through multi-layered security hoops, getting stuck in voicemail loops, fending off hackers, dealing with people who don't pay attention to instructions. And while on some level these activities may be necessary in an increasingly complex world, a lot of them just feel boring and a waste of time. And at the end of the day, you lay in bed and you wonder, so what did I do today anyway? Perhaps you, like me, would rather do something that's meaningful rather than just busy work. Now, I heard that some doctors spend one-third of their time healing people and two-thirds of their time doing paperwork and administrative tasks. So where are their priorities? Soon afterward, we watched one of my favorite films, Lost Horizon. The movie contains a very poignant scene in which high-ranking statesmen Robert Conway finds himself in the remote paradise of Shangri-La, where he falls in love with a delightful woman who invites him to stay there with her forever. He explains that he has important work to do back in society, and she tells him, come now, you know you are going nowhere. Admit it. Well, Conway thinks for a moment, smiles, and replies, you're exactly right. And in that moment, he realizes that most of the work he's doing is not leading to anything of true value. He is just rolling the dial to nowhere. So if you are tired of running on a hamster wheel, be honest about what you'd rather be doing. How much of your work and daily activities are actually life-giving? And how much are boring and deadening? How much tolerance do you have for the meaningless? Any tolerance at all is tolerance too much. If you are bored, either find a way to make what you're doing interesting or choose something more stimulating. And there are no other options, really. French author Jules Renard said, I am never bored anywhere because being bored is an affront to oneself. Now, everything you do is either taking you somewhere or it's taking you nowhere. If there is any value in going nowhere, It is to bring you to the realization of the somewhere you would rather be. Our challenge is that nowhere is so highly populated that it seems like somewhere. When billions of people agree that illusions are solid, it's tempting to pitch your tent on a swamp. But reality is not a democracy, and truth does not depend on a number of people who subscribe to it. Mass agreement does not make emptiness full. It takes an innocent mind to see that the emperor isn't wearing clothes. Such people are branded mavericks and heretics. But eventually, when the masses finally catch up with reality, the heretics are lauded, they're knighted, or they're sainted. Paul McCartney, who flipped the bird at the monarchy by smoking pot in Buckingham Palace, was eventually knighted. Now, this is your life we're talking about. 
you get just so many trips around the sun before you get returned to inventory. And none of us can afford to waste time in irrelevance. There are three ways you can immediately add meaning and value to your life. Number one, follow your joy voice rather than your fear voice. Number two, connect by focusing on the human element in your work and communication. And number three, serve. When you take care of people, you remember why we are here. Our deepest purpose is to make each other's lives easier. And everything else is either a means toward that end or a detail. So each day we are presented with numerous dials we can turn. Some of them simply provide the illusion of action and others actually have an effect. So may you sleep well tonight knowing that your day on earth was well spent. That's by uh, Alan Cohen. You can visit his website, alancohen.com. Um, I was hoping that he would be able to join us today, but he was not able to. So instead, we bring you that. But it's really pause. You know, it gives you pause to think about it. Of Where are you going? And are you doing something that's meaningful? And are you bringing meaning to your life every day? And are you helping others? And we'll talk about that more actually, when we get to segment three. Now, one of the other things that was really on my mind this week is all this digital pirating that we are seeing out there. I think it's, you know, I it can't help but frighten us that today everything seems to be online. You know, your bank accounts are online, you're paying your bills online. There's everything about you is online. So it's very hard to have actually any privacy. Anybody can find anything at any time. But if you are thinking about the growing role the internet plays in your financial life, then you probably are nervous. I know it makes me nervous. According to the Identity Theft Resource Center, the number of data breaches grew from 40% from 2015 to 2016. 40% in one year. That is really, really, uh, that's like phenomenal to me. So there's a few things that you can do to protect your online personality. Number one is to use a unique password for every account. That is a hard one that I find because, I mean, how many accounts do you have? I think I must have two or 300 now. And, you know, to try to remember to keep all of your, um, you know, your passwords, how do you do that? I don't think that we, you know, you can do that. You have to use some kind of password um, Um, a password uh, what is it called a um, a manager a password manager there's apps out there so the password manager can keep track of all of your passwords so that would be something that is a good thing to do because cyber criminals they're going to use your uh, your um, credentials that are stolen from one site and then they're going to access the data on another site The other thing you can do is to vary your usernames as well. Don't always use it. The principle is the same as with passwords. Use different logins, especially for financial apps, and that can provide just an added layer of protection. And don't use your primary email address as your username whenever possible. 
Another way is to use your fingerprint. There's a biometric identification available on a lot of smart devices now, and it has a really good, robust safety feature. So if you do have that on any of your smart devices, enable it on all of your hardware and software. And um, and then it's probably offered on a lot of different financial places as, as well. Now, most of us all know this, but beware of public Wi-Fi. Don't open a financial app. Don't make a purchase online whenever you're connected to a uh, Wi-Fi access. Just make sure you're connected to a private, secure access point. And then keep your profile information current. You want to update your contact information and you want to enable alerts on your financial apps. And that can help ensure you that you'll receive a timely notice of account activity. Although the only thing that I I don't know how they get it, but I think what worries me about some of these things is now you give your cell phone number out as a secondary number or a way to help you um, to um, make sure that you can be more secure. But the problem with that is then all of a sudden now you start getting uh, spam cell phone calls. I've been getting every single day, twice a day, I get a call from a, you have won a four-day trip to, and it's you know completely free, all you have to do, blah, blah, blah. And every single day I block the number. And every single day, there is a new number that pops up and rings that my phone number. So I'm not exactly sure what the how the um, technology behind that is working. But, you know, it's very bothersome to get these calls, especially when you're on another call and it's very important to you. So those are just a few ways to keep yourself safe. But we're going to go to break right now. And when we come back, we are going to have the very exciting memoir from New York Times contributor Helene Stepinski with her newest book, Murder in Matera. So stay tuned. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Star you are. The star you are. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. 
Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. Well, we're really happy that you are still with us here on Star Style. Be the star you are. I am your coach, Cynthia Bryan, and I am excited that you are going to be with us with another pioneer on the planet when I introduce you to this author who we turned to her, the homeland of Italy, to track her great-great-grandmother's story that she had heard from the time she was a little girl that her grandmother was a murderer. But things get changed and things unravel when you go hunting for the truth. Helene Stepinski is with me. Hello, Helene. Thank you Hello. for being with Star Style. Thank you for having me. Well, the name of the book is Murder in Matera. And right. it is about it is about your great grandmother, great great grandmother. And right. yeah, great, great. Two greats, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah two greats. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah, two greats. All right. So we go great, great. Yeah, I was reading recently that it because this is what I found so fascinating for you to be going back to really research her is that in three generations were completely forgotten. So basically your, you know, your kids, you, and then your grandparents. And then after that, you know, we're gone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're forgotten. So you didn't forget because let's tell the story from the time you were a little girl, you heard this story or when you were about four about yeah, your great, great grandmother. Earlier, that's, that's, the only, that's the time I remember, you know, because that's when memory kind of kicks in. But yes, my mother right. just told these stories over and over and over again. She was a great storyteller. And I was the youngest in the family. And I think everyone else had stopped listening to her. I was seven years younger than my next sibling. And I was sort of her, <laughs> her captive audience. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and, of course. Yeah. Of course. And so I, I, read, I eventually wrote them down. Right? You know, I wrote the stories down. So. Well, you know, I think this is what happens um, with families, is especially when you're the youngest, is that you're going to hear those stories. I know when we get, we're a big Italian family, and we get together, it's sort of like story number 121. Right. Everybody's exactly. heard it, but, and our husbands can never, our husbands or our wives who are, you know, who are not part yeah. of the Italian clan, they can't believe that any of them are true, but everybody tells the same story. So we <laughs> right. don't know what's really true. <laughs> exactly. They go on so, and on. You have written, um, we'll get back to your murder in Matera in just a second, but Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that you are the author of two memoirs, Five Finger Discount, A Crooked Family History, and Baby Plays Around, A Love Affair with Music, because you actually um, played in a band and you you wrote about that, and you also write uh, as a freelancer for lots of different newspapers and magazines and all of this, which is Mm -hmm. fantastic, but... It seems like this particular story that you penned for Murder in Matera was 
was really something that was dear to your heart because it took you over 10 years of really exhaustive research to go back. So give us the background about when you actually thought you were Avina and um, about your great-great-grandmother, Vita, the way you had heard it. Well, you know, we had heard that she was a murderer, that her and her husband um, had committed a murder, and that she had escaped to America with her two sons. And my mom always said that there were three kids originally, and one got lost along the way. And we didn't know what that meant. You know, we had no proof. We had no name or anything. Um, But my great-grandfather came over with the mom and his brother, and they both became barbers in Jersey City, New Jersey. And so I knew their story, um, but really didn't know anything about the Vita story, and her husband's name was Francesco Venna. Um, So, you know, when I first went to Italy to research it, it was just sort of like fun for me. You know, I was like, oh, let's see if we can find this story from our family, you know. There was a little bit of a nag there at the back of my head about the genetics of it all, like, you know, does this murder gene get passed down, and I had two little kids at the time, and I'm like, well, I hope they don't have a life of crime, you know. But well, And that was one of the parts of your book that I thought had so much humor, because you're talking about your uncle, and, you know, somebody stealing this, and, you know, yeah. it's like, is this really, do we, might, could we really have that criminal gene? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's partly environment, too. You know, Jersey City was a pretty, pretty tough place to grow up around the turn of the century, so I think that was part of it. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, so I went back trying to just sort of in a fun way, like I said, to look this stuff up. And I couldn't find anything at first. And I kind of became obsessed about it. And I just couldn't stop looking after a while. You know, and it took me 10 years. I went back four times, all told. And um, I really only found the murder two years ago. I found the murder file, which was a 600-page case file. And everything I needed to know was in there. It, it, what was so fascinating was you had a dogged dil- diligence, and it seemed like almost everybody you would run into was related to you in some way, or maybe not related, but they had the same name, or they knew somebody, but in the beginning, nobody wanted to help you. Nobody, you know, you would have a lot of murder stories, but they were never your story. Exactly. When you go to your ancestral village, wherever it may be, I think, you know, this is the world over. The people in the town, a lot of the times, all have the same name. So you go there, and everybody has the same last name. And so you're probably related to everyone at some point, you know, if you go back far enough, as many generations. But my immediate, I think, relatives, the ones from, like, a few generations back, um, wouldn't talk to me because it was a shameful story. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to talk about it. It was not just embarrassing. It was, it was something to be ashamed of. And they carried it with them for, for decades, you know. And so and, the people and who generations, have, yes, yeah, you know. So the people who could have talked to me would not, and the people who did talk to me were far removed and didn't know the story. So it was this weird catch twenty two. And so I left there on that first trip with no information whatsoever. And really frustrated, and but determined to go back and find it. But my kids were very young at the time. I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old, and doing research with a one-year-old and a four-year-old is not recommended. I have to tell right, you. <laughs> exactly. I felt for you as you were trying to juggle yeah, all the whole those first things. third of the book. You know, is me having a nervous breakdown. So um, I went home. I went back to Brooklyn, and I waited for them to grow up. And in the meantime, I read every possible book and document written about the Celicata which is the region where we're from. 
And so when I went back, you know, 10 years later, I was really prepared. So, you know, that, that mommy patience actually worked out for me, you know, because well, I, I did educate myself. Well, and also you went myself. back alone this time. You didn't take the children. So this time you right. really exactly. were unencumbered and you could really focus. Yes, and I hired a couple of researchers to help me as well. Um, and we found it in four days. You know, it was a miracle. So. <laughs> that, yeah, and did it? Did you find that uh, the, there was a big language barrier or any custom yeah. barrier? Because I always felt every time I've been back to um, to relatives, I have relatives in northern Italy. I haven't been to the southern uh, relatives yet right. but you know if they just get it seems so excited to see you and all of that and they just you know they just want to talk and talk and talk did you feel that that kind of camaraderie with the family because it didn't no. really it didn't no. feel like it from the book except no because for the guy so that owned the beach place yeah. you know yeah, he seemed so- really cool like he was really excited that you you know to meet you but the rest of them they didn't seem like hey we have an american cousin no. or somebody here I think I approached it wrong. You know, I should have just gone in and said, I'm here to visit. Hi, you know, nice to meet you. Instead, I went in, you know, like a reporter saying, uh, there's this murder I'm trying to find. I want this right. information. <laughs> it was a bad approach, and I learned right. my well, lesson. Let's embarrass our family more. I want to find the putana, and I want to find the murderers. <laughs> exactly. right. I could have gone in softer, I think. So it was my fault. You know, I, I take the blame at the end of the day. But, uh, yeah, no, they, they avoided me like the plague, you know. <laughs> Oh, to me. Um, Calabria is is the poorest region in Italy. It is the you know it's right at the boot, right across from Sicily. And I want you to uh, explain to the listeners because this is something that I really didn't know. That this whole idea of the the paisans, the people they're working for, you know, the big boss. And I mean, they're they're paid very little, or they're just paid in food, and they're really kept poor. And then that whole idea of prima notte, I had yeah. never ever heard about I that, and I was I hadn't just either. stunned. I was stunned. I was Did you shocked. find out about it when you were there? Is that when yeah, you? I, I had no idea. Yeah, I I went when I went back. Like I said, it was just sort of like a fun trip, trying to find some information. And as I started digging, I couldn't find my particular story. I found all this history about the area, and unbeknownst to me, you know, it was a feudal farming system until the 1800s, a feudal farming system. So you basically had the padrone who ran the big farms. It was their their land. They owned it, and everybody else worked for them. You know, talk about the 1%, you know. (laughs) It was was a pretty awful setup. And one of the worst parts of it was that the, the landowner would often sleep with whatever farmer's wives he wanted to. And the farmers couldn't really do anything about it because if they protested, they wouldn't get work. And so it was sort of a slave landowner situation, you know. Really? Uh, there's no chains, but it, it was a pretty awful situation. You could be beaten and whipped, you know, if you caused trouble. Um, and so there's a, a particular ritual called Prima Note, which you mentioned, which is called, it means first night. And the landowner would sometimes sleep with the bride on her wedding night. So the groom had to get lost and the padrone would sleep with the virgin bride. You know, do you have any, you didn't go into detail on how that came about. I'd never heard of any such thing like that. I mean, I could see kings and stuff doing it, but how could that possibly be allowed? I would think, I mean, 
that just seems like such a slap in the face and so horrifying. What was I, the, I, Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I didn't know anything about it when I went. And um, the historian, there were two historians in the town who told me about it. You know, I think one of the first nights I spoke to them. Cause, because the reason I came up was that my, my great-great-grandmother was supposed to have been a putana, you know, which is sort of a, you know, it, loose a woman. Prostitute. And um, when I told them that there was someone involved in the story named Greco, who was supposed to be a lover or a lawyer or someone, their eyes lit up and they said, well, Greco was the name of the landowner. And mm-hmm. so it was really just sort of a given that most of the women, the poor women, had to sleep with the landowners. So it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even a question for them. They were just like, right. yeah, that's, that's what happened. That's how it works. This is just you know? what happened. Well, and it and happened I, until the 1800s. Other, it's not like it was just medieval, you know. It yeah, was that's recent. the thing is that it's, so, it's very recent. And what was yeah. also interesting is that the future husband, who has still not consummated his matrimony with his own wife, he right. gets compensated with a lamb dinner. Right, it's <laughs> called Agnello di Marito. Unbelievable. Yeah. Lamb was like the sacred food, I guess, because they yeah, were so yeah. poor. I mean, they didn't not, get nobody meat really once or twice a year, meat. right? Yeah. You ate meat twice a year. So, yeah. you know, that was uh, Christmas and Easter. So that was an extra bonus meal for you. But, um, you know, it's, 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 nine million Italians left southern Italy. And, you know, this is one of the reasons, you know. And people didn't talk about it when they came. They just said it was poor and they had a bad time. But, the details I found out were just incredible and eye-opening, and I, yes. I just have so much respect for our ancestors of what well, they went through. Well, I, you know, I do too. I mean, as um, I said, my ancestors are among those nine million who came. They came at the turn of, um, you know, around some, not, some came around 1903, some in 1898, some in the 1920s. But right. what's very interesting too is how discriminatory. Um, how much disc- uh, discrimination they faced when they got here and mm-hmm. how much prejudice. And doesn't it ring true of what's happening today with other yeah. nationalities? Absolutely. I, I wrote Off, You know, being so branded as rapists, that. criminals, and when they're really just seeking a better life and, you know, they want to bring something that's better here. Absolutely. Um, there were just droves and droves of people coming over, and they're mostly good, you know, hardworking, poor people. And maybe there were a couple of criminals thrown in there, and everybody was branded a criminal. You know, it's like exactly what's happening today. You've got exactly all these people coming over happening. from Syria and Mexico. You know, they just want to make a living. And yes. you get one or two bad eggs, and everybody's, you know, up in arms. Everybody's branded. Well, they just want to raise their families, and, you know, and they exactly. want to, um, to have each generation be better. And I think what's interesting, when after reading your book, I started thinking about this, of my favorite picture of my mother as a child, and... Uh, with her parents is they were so poor. They're the whole. There were six kids. They're all and they had immigrated over. They're all barefoot. Their only clothing they're wearing uh, potato sacks. Wow, that's, that's the clothes. Everybody looks dirty. You know, I mean, yeah. and that was their family portrait. Their family yeah. portrait. My mom was in. She was the baby. She was being held. And when they came over here, they had to hunt for food. I mean, just like they did in the old country. They would go into the woods and wow. illegally. So that's why I thought, hey, I've got criminals too. You know, they yeah. would shoot robins and quail and pheasants and right. rabbits and all that so that they could eat. And they had their own, they had to grow their own food and they had no indoor uh, toilets and they had no yeah. uh, electricity and no running water. My mom had yeah. to empty the chamber pots. But 
now you look at, you know, another generation and we're doing better and the next generation of my children, they're better. doing yeah. better. And, you know, it's like it takes a few generations to step up. Yeah. And they would sacrifice themselves for us. You know, they, they took that That's long journey point. over here for their, their kids and their grandkids, you know. Now, uh, we're talking to Helene Stepinski. She's the author. Her newest book is called Murder in Matera. Uh, do you mind if we talk about what happened with Vita, or do you want to leave that a secret for people to read the book? Well, I don't want to give too much away, but I think okay, we, we want that. About it. Yeah, we won't. But I really, I thought, I think that was what was so interesting is there are some very good twists and turns in it, and right. the fact that she was always called a putana, and um, actually that's sort of a a very good thing. It was really sad about the one child that was lost, and I guess the, it was never never found out what happened to the little girl. No, and I, we always thought it was a little boy, you know, in my right. family. It was like there were three sons, but when I did the research, I found all the birth records for all her children, and we thought she'd only had two or three kids, but it turns out she had like six or seven kids, and I kept finding more and more children, you know, in the birth records, and the last one born was this little girl. And there's no record of her dying in Bernalda, in the town, so she must have left with her mother. And um, she never came over, she never entered America, so she was lost on the way somehow. So. Somehow, you know, yeah. what, a, what a really sad story. And I think that so many immigrants have those stories. And again, that made me just think about, yeah. you know, all the immigrants that are trying to cross the seas in these boats that are pirated and the boats exactly. tip over and how many people are lost. Yeah, you're know, not even uh, hearing any of the, most of the stories, probably, you know. I'm sure. Just I'm sure so we don't. Horror stories. And, you know, that you had something else that you said here earlier when you were doing this research, how people didn't want to talk about it because they were shamed or whatever. I think that's really what happens in uh, in the generations is as you get further out many years down the line, nobody's shamed about it. People just want to know what happened. But the people who lived it or were close enough to it, they feel that there was something, you know, that there was some guilt or something that was wrong with the family. And it was a burden for them to, to bear that. And so they never talked about it. It's like Holocaust victims or anybody that has been through a lot of it's trials. True. They tend not to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, when you go back to these places, they're still living with it. You know, it's not, yes. it's not the past for them. It's, the, it's still the present in a way. You know, they live with it on the streets where they grew up and where their great-grandparents grew up and where their great-great-grandparents grew up. When you come to America... You sort of shed that past, you know. And so for us, it's not a big deal, you know. We're, we're sort of free of that. And so it's easy for me to go back and look. But for the people who are still there, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing. And I didn't realize that until I found the murder. And I confronted this woman who wouldn't talk to me. And it just kind of hit me all of a sudden, wait, I'm being a jerk. <laughs> you know? um, well, you weren't being a jerk. It was that it really was, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, she wasn't nice to you from the no, get-go. No, she, <laughs> she was not she nice. She was miserable. Let's put I it that way. I guess she kind of deserved it. like a very miserable human being, right. you know. She's, but, the but then when you put it in context of, stories, of, you know. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole different, a whole different story. Uh, what do you think? What do you think that um, when the people in uh, in Basilicata, do you think that after a time period, this will be forgotten, or is it because there are 
you know, that's the same families and they're all married and all of this stuff. Do you think that it just will continue and continue and continue? You mean the stories getting passed on? The stories and the shame and the guilt and the fact that they don't even want to talk about their past. No, it's changing, actually. Um, Just in the 10 years gap, you know, that I had the first time I went and the last time I went, it had changed. Um, I hired a female researcher to help me, and she's she's in her 20s. And it, it's a whole different generation. They don't care. <laughs> you know? that, that's what They're I was honest. wondering. Is it They're like the, the generations that are over here that they just don't care? Yeah, and it, what about like what us. about the the stranglehold of the Catholic Church? Because everything for so long was really all about the saints and the relics and the you know all of that. Is that changing too with the younger yeah, generation? Like there? I said, the, the kids there are very modern. You know, the girl who was helping me was a DJ and. You know, she worked for a literary magazine, and they're very sophisticated, the young Italians. It's, it's really not what it used to be. They, don't, they really don't like to work the farms anymore. The farms right. are dying out, you know, because people don't want to work them. They'd rather be videographers or, you know, run beach bars or whatever, you know. Right. Um, it's They'd rather have some culture. fun. They want to do something that is going to be, give them some joy in life. Exactly. <laughs> Running the farm probably wasn't one of them. No. <laughs> yeah. Not by long no. shot. <laughs> Uh, what about the food? Are, about the- are you find, are you finding? Because I know that with for me, um, my my nonny, we called her non, you know, and it was nonna, but we no no right nonny right uh, nonny. Uh, she was just an amazing cook, making whatever she could from whatever was available, right? Mm-hmm. And then my mother and my aunts and my uncles, everybody cooked exactly the same, and now my sisters and I, we all. We all cook just like that. Yeah. Nobody uses a recipe. We can't tell you how right. to make it. It's just a little <laughs> bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, you taste it. Do you find that they're still cooking that way? Yes. The food is terrific, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, and it's carried yeah, over it's the never, Yes, well. I think the like, food and the wine family. probably always will be, right? Yeah. I mean, the food is just amazing. And the thing with the food now is that it is in abundance. You know, back then there wasn't much, and they had to stretch it and come yeah. up with different ways to cook everything. And now... You know, people have a little bit more money, and some people do have small farms to themselves, and they grow their own vegetables and their own meat or whatever, and it's just, you know, mind-blowing. <laughs> but today, they grow their own vegetables and their own meat because they get to do it, not because yeah. they have to do it. Exactly. You know, and they, they choose, it. right? Yeah. And they, yeah, they choose. It. You know, well, you wrote in table, your book you know. about how they would stretch the bread by adding sawdust to it. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad times. Yeah. Whatever yeah. they could find. Yes, not not so great. Uh, a quick question. So, being Italian, your husband uh, Stepinski is that Polish? That's my father's name, actually. Oh, it's yeah, my father is Polish. My mom is Italian. So, is so. what your, your father was a, another nationality, and then your mother was was my the, mother's uh, Italian. Yeah, the stories are from her side. Yeah. But did your dad have stories too? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's the next book. I had uh, relatives in Poland who were Jewish, and when the Nazis invaded their town, quickly converted to Catholicism. So we found that out fairly recently. So that could be the next book. I'm not sure. That is. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. That. um, I always thought that having visited Poland and unfortunately, you know, been to the concentration camps, which were so horrible and everything, is I thought the same thing. Is that 
you know, if you're if you were Jewish, why not just be something else? Don't maybe when they're when, once you found out how bad they were. And I actually interviewed an author who's wrote a book on her family who actually survived because they um, pretended not to be Jewish. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people did in Poland. You know, um, it's it's one thing to be here and to judge people and say, oh, how could they do that? They're self-hating. How could... But, you know, when it's life or death, it's a life or death situation. You've got Nazis invading your town, you know? I mean, you want to live, you know? So uh, it's a really fascinating story. Yes. I really like yes. to delve into that one. I I agree with you. I agree. I mean, I think that when, you know, it's survival of the fittest and you do what you can to keep your right. family alive. And I, to me, that's being very brave, you know, right. not being, it's not being cowardly at all. So right. it was a uh, now here. that you yeah. have finished with Murder and Matera, you said that you just have um, done the audiobook of it. Tell I us did. what that was like. It was really exhausting, I have to say. <laughs> Um, I had heard that it was difficult, and I didn't really believe people, and I went in there, I did it, and, you know, I I had plans to meet a friend for lunch during the lunch break, and so I said to the engineer, you know, what time will we be breaking for lunch? I'm going to meet someone. He said, oh, no, you're not allowed to leave. And I said, why not? He said, this is so hard that people don't come back. (laughs) (laughs) And he was right. It was really difficult, but it was it really is difficult. It was I know. Um, well, experience. I do a lot of I do a lot of different voiceover things and all of that. And and one of my books was Chicken Soup for the Gardener Soul, and I had to do the audio portion of it. And I thought, oh, being an actor, it's going to be so you know. Yeah. I've done this a million times, and it was just like you said. I had actually. I parked in a zone where I wasn't really supposed to park, but I figured, oh, I'm going to ace this. I'll have it in and out. When I came back, my car had been towed. (laughs) Oh, no. That's not good. Yeah, so anyway, um, so that's very true. Well, I want to give out your website because we want people to go and pick up this book, Murder in Matera. And no matter what nationality you are, we all came from somewhere where America's right. a huge melting pot. And this story of family is, and forgiveness, and the tagline is a true story of passion, family, and forgiveness in southern Italy. It'll resonate with everybody. It's, it's HeleneStepinski.com, H-E-L-E-N-E-S-T-A-P-I-N-S-K-I. Dot com. So are you, is your family really proud of you? Your kids are, um, are much older now, obviously. They so are. My 17-year-old like just finished. He just finished reading the book. My 13-year-old hasn't read it yet. Um, but my mom is in the middle of it right now, actually. <laughs> oh, good. You know, don't you find as a writer, it's really the hardest people to read your book, um, Helene, are as your family. I mean, I always like, yeah. I, it's sort of like you sit on the edge of your seat. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. It's about them as well. You know, my, right, my sister was, the, my sister was the, one of the first people to read it. I gave her the galleys and um, she wrote me this long note just, you know, and called me crying, you know, and she said, you've redeemed Vita. You know, you've, yeah. you've changed our, what we know about our history and I'm so proud of her and I'm proud of you. And it was this beautiful note that she wrote me. Oh. And that it was all worth it just for that note from my sister, you know. Oh, so, yeah, really absolutely. Terrific. Yes, absolutely. That's just so sweet. Well, I think that's the beautiful part of your book is that um, Vita has been redeemed, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's you know that's the good news, and I like you have to read it. Find I, out. <laughs> yeah, you have to read what happens. You have to read what happens and how this whole redemption comes up, uh, comes about. So perhaps you don't have to worry so much about your kids now, right? No, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> they're formed. You know, I think they're, they're going to be just fine. I think they're they fine. are just just <laughs> yeah. fine. Well, uh, is your next book then going to be about your dad? I don't know yet. I'm you know I'm still doing publicity for this one, and I'm teaching, and I'm also uh, still writing for the Times. I'm doing a column every two weeks, and oh, uh, so kind of work. Taking, picking up a lot of time. And yeah, in summer, so I have to take my son to college. He's leaving for college in, in mid August. So I'm a little bit of a break. I mean, when you think about when you were writing this book, he was a little boy, and now he's going to college. Exactly. I know it. It breaks me up all the time. I'm I'm in tears all the time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, I wanted to ask you because I love um I love the moth. So you actually were a featured performer on us. Tell us a little bit about that before I let yeah, you go. That was that was back when um after Five Finger Discount came out. That was my first book. Um, I did the moth main stage. Uh, I told a story about uh, working at an ice cream parlor. I worked at Carvel. I don't know if people know Carvel. I don't know if that's an East Coast thing. but um, I think it's East Coast. So we're in California, yeah. but that's okay. People are listening on the East Coast. It was a chain, yeah. It was an ice cream chain, and I used to steal the ice cream. And so that was like my version of stealing stuff because in my family there were just generations and generations of people who stole things. And right. I, so I told this hilarious story about stealing ice cream from the place and getting caught. and you know. So anyway, that was my moth story, and it was really great. It was a great night. It was really memorable. I love the moth. How really fun. I mean, because that is really a great venue, great venue. Also, how did you end up being a newscaster in Alaska? I mean, being from New Jersey and now living in Brooklyn, how did, how did that come about? Well, I had been in the New York area my whole life. You know, I grew up in Jersey City, which is right across the river from New York City. I went to NYU. And I really wanted to get out of here. I just had to, had to escape, had to escape. And I wanted an adventure. And so I wound up joining the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is oh. sort of like the Peace Corps, but through the Catholic Church. And I right. was sent up to Nome, Alaska to be a, a news uh, director up there. And that was mind-blowing. <laughs> in Nome, Alaska. That's where my dad was in World War II. Really? In Nome, Alaska. Yeah, it's right in Siberia. I mean, it's way the hell up there. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> My first book is actually about that year that I spent there. It was my thesis project for my MFA at Columbia University, and it's never been published. So that might be the next book. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, that's the exciting part of writing books that don't get published is maybe it just wasn't the right timing. So exactly. now you know that you have all these other ones. Maybe you'll go back to some of your manuscripts and I might. Well, polish them well up and that. get them out there because it sounds like so much fun. I mean, it really yeah. sounds pretty Pretty fascinating, and plus you're such an incredible researcher, you, you know, it's going to be filled with all kinds of great stuff. Right, right, Well, right. Helene, thank you so much for gracing our airwaves here on oh, Star Style. Be the star you are. It's really, really fun to talk to a fellow, fellow Italian who, um, <laughs> whose family has lived through some of the things that I believe my family have yeah, lived you through. you have to find your story. I, yeah. <laughs> Those stories, yes, I just, I, that, that prima note just really got me. I'm, you know, I wish that my nanny was still alive. Yeah, right? Because on her documents, I'm actually looking at her document of coming over. She arrived over here on a boat in steerage called the Paris. 
Uh, she oh, was yeah. a male organ mm-hmm. guide, basically, to my grandfather, who was also Italian, but he just sent for his f- a friend and said, hey, do you have any virgin daughters left, you know? Wow. <laughs> anyway, but she, you know what? She, her occupation was listed as maid. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, maid. So I think so many of them, that's probably what they got listed as as they came yeah. over. Yeah. A lot of the that's- women. Yeah, Unless it was listed as Putana, right? Right. <laughs> I don't think they listed that. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I'm not sure they get in. Well, I'm so thank glad you read it and enjoyed it. And on the on. show sure. uh, again, we want the people book to when you get interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> we want people to go to her website because you will love this book, HeleneStapinski.com. H-E-L-E-N-E-S-T-A-P-I-N-S-K-I. Dot com. Thank you so much, Helene, for being Thank on so our show. And best of success for you uh, with all the rest of your books. This has Thanks. laid a great foundation. Great. And maybe I'll talk to you again with the next book. <laughs> yes, definitely. You, be- you just be in touch. Okay. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. So You've been listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be back in a bit. Don't go away. Be the star you are. The star you The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376. 376 Moraga, California 94556 Be the star you are dot org Dare to care You are the star Change your world Change your life VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. Well, wasn't that a fantastic, fun interview? The book is really great Murder in Matera, uh, Helene Stepinski. You will really be riveted by it. There's so much research. She really worked hard to get it all right. And I don't know how she did all of that, but it gives me hope that we can all go back and find more information about our families. Well, at the top of the hour, I talked to you about planning to live to a hundred or longer and some of the what you can do. So I just want to go over that again because in science labs all over the world researchers are exploring ways that we can delay those effects of aging and extend our years of healthy life. I mean, we're already living nearly three decades longer on average than our ancestors from a century ago. 
So a 10-year-old child today has a 50% chance of living to be at least 104. Now, if you're wondering what you or that 10-year-old might do with all that extra time on Earth, I have a suggestion for you, and you're probably not going to be surprised coming from Be The Star You Are and me as an executive director and a longtime volunteer. I say volunteer. Share your skills and your passion with others. There are so many needs out there, and when you devote your time to filling other people's needs, it is like that silver bullet that will help you feel better about yourself while you're helping society feel better. Now, most of us who have volunteered know the positive jolt of um, what it's like. You know, it's you know, it's like that giver's high, right? So when you volunteer, the benefits that come back to you are, I think they're like 10 times more than whatever you give. You know, you contribute your talents to others, and it's more than transitory. It's more than just that initial buzz. It really is life-changing for you. Whenever I have um, people that contact me, and I just had one contact me today, with that I had helped way back in 2002 and it was one of my coaching students and I helped this guy relaunch himself, redesign himself, rebrand himself and get out into the world and now all these years later he just he says he's just so happy he's doing what he loves etc and he said how he thinks about how grateful he is to me. Well that means a ton So I really do feel that when we help others, you know, we really are helping ourselves. And we never know, you know, you never know what that smile you're doing or whatever it is. Now, you know, the payoff is the social good that's done, right? And all you have to do is look around you at volunteers who have helped in a a garden, you know, like an urban garden or people who go to the food banks and they feed the hungry or when, like our teens did this past weekend, they went into the senior center and they did a pop-up concert for all these wheelchair-bound seniors. Or like our our book review team does in um, in reading to other people, you know, or just helping people with literacy, whatever it is. Donating your time to benefit others has a lot of deep individual value as well. There really is a lot of research that tells us that those who volunteer have lower mortality rates, less depression, and they have a greater sense of control over their life, as well as higher rates of self-esteem and happiness. And I, I really could vouch for that. So using health and volunteering data from the U.S. Census Bureau and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there's a report that found that states with a high volunteer rate even have lower instances of heart disease. And some uh, studies are showing that volunteers who devote more than 100 hours or more per year to volunteer activities are the most likely to experience health benefits. So all these findings are indicating that in general, The older the volunteer, the greater the personal benefits of volunteering. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how old you get. There's always going to be somebody that you'll be able to help. Volunteering can really renew that sense of purpose. It can prevent the social isolation that's recognized with um, health hazard, especially 
for those who are in their elderly years. And I just think that there are plenty of places out there so that you can find a volunteer and uh, resources. If you're looking for a place to volunteer, there's a wonderful, a wonderful website called volunteermatch.org. You can go to it. You can type in the kind of work you're looking for. If you want it to be in your city, uh, you can do that. If you want to volunteer with Be The Star You Are, we have lots of virtual opportunities that might be beneficial to you. You can go to bethestarur.org. I think that you'll really, really, um, really find that volunteering is the secret to longevity and a happier longevity. Well, thank you so much for being such great listeners and allowing me to be here with you every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you are always tuned in to Voice America, the Empowerment Channel, and to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And on Tuesdays at noon Pacific, make sure you're listening to Express Yourself because that is where teens talk and the world listens and kids really get to express their viewpoints. For more information about Star Style Productions or to book me for any coaching or writing or or um, any kind of consultation, visit CynthiaBryan.com. My new book, Growing with the Goddess Gardener, should be here anytime. There keeps there, the proofs keep coming back, and there's always some mistake that was was made on the publisher's side there, so I get frustrated, but it's it's going to be here one of these days. I'm in, hoping to encourage, inspire, inform, and muse, and motivate you and get you to read a book this week, because a book is like a garden in your pocket. I highly recommend Murder in Matera by Helene Stepinski, so check that out. And remember to imagine your dreams as if they always exist because they do already exist if you speak it and think it and make it so. And until next week when we celebrate again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you, and I encourage you, go out into the world and shine brightly. Be the star you are. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.